0: It is the 17th of December. I am Chris Carter. He is David Robertson and we are the Religious Studies Project. I'm and you are. <laughs> I don't know who you are, but you know. On, on the count of three, um, listeners, say your name. One, two, three. So nice to meet yeah, you. Yeah, good
1: to see you again. Um, this week's episode is the Thurwell Affair Handshakes in Swiss Schools with Philip Hermansk and martin bergen and this is an interview by thomas white recorded at the easr way back last summer um we talked about it quite a bit last week so you probably know what's coming if you don't i'm going to pass over to thomas and he'll tell you
2: hello there i'm here in Bern, switzerland at the easr we're on the uh, final day and i'm joined here by um to uh swiss early career researchers here dr philip Hetmanchek and martin Borgen both from the university of zurich and um because it's based in switzerland this conference and we need to really get to grips with issues that are affecting you know swiss um understandings of religion and politics and religion in the public space we're going to be talking about the uh, thurville affair um this, as far as I remember from reading in the international press a couple of years ago, was a, a big issue that um, kind of you know carried on the winds of international press, as often uh, sensational religious controversies do. Um, but I suspect I'm not the best person to introduce this to our listeners. Um, so, uh, Philip Martin, um, what, what was the Ferville affair? Can you please explain this
3: for us? So what you by now, what we by now call the Furville affair is named first of all after the place, Furville. Furville is a little uh, town close to the city of Basel, which probably might be better known. Um, in Furville, there was a secondary school and two students, two Muslim students of that school uh, decided not to shake hands due to religious reasons, as they claimed, um, with a female teacher. Um, and this very local incident, uh, kind of became of a nationwide affair, a case where the media was involved, um, reported extensively, um, politicians debated about the case, brought it up to the, to the, to the cantonal parliament. And even international media reported about that. So in the end, it became just a huge, it became just a huge thing. Wow. Well, th- th- this is a, a an unusual and perhaps even
2: um, rather hard to understand uh, importance of handshakes. Um, are, are handshakes that important in Switzerland?
3: I think uh, t- uh, just to correct your introduction, Martin is the Swiss guy here. I'm. I came to Switzerland for. For doing my PhD, that oh, I, time. I beg your so, pardon, but for just to put that straight, no, no problem yeah. at all. But so I think that question should uh, Martin definitely has to answer <laughs>
4: because I never experienced schooling in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, I can answer the question from a very personal level. Uh, I mean, I I grew up in Switzerland, I went to school in Switzerland, and I have to say I don't remember uh, that shaking hands was a ritual, a common ritual at school, maybe at kindergarten, but definitely not at high school. And if we look into that in a, from a historical perspective, I mean, we can go um, one uh, generation back, then it was very common that uh, students were sitting behind their back the desks when, when teachers came in, and they had to stand up and say, hello, uh, lehrer and that was it. So there were, was for sure no handshake at all. But that is maybe on a very personal level, uh, as a scholar in the study of religions, uh, we Maybe we can discuss this afterwards, but I would say it's very in- interesting to see the handshake as a symbol in a, within a cultural symbol system. If we uh, remember Stuart Hall, it is participants in a culture who give meaning to people, objects and, and uh, practices. And we can interpret um, it is handshake or the denial of a handshake as a cultural practice.
2: Right. So the, the handshake is a, a symbolic of a far bigger conversation and far bigger issues than just uh, simply, you know, classroom management. Um, but let, let, let's try and uh, get get to grips with the, the actual case study uh, before we kind of explore the really big conceptual issues, which will be a fascinating aspect of this topic. Um, now, as I understand it, the, the school did try to reconcile uh, this
4: issue on its own terms quite early. Is that correct? Mm hmm. Before the refused Handshake was discussed on a national and on an international level the local school management has already reached a compromise with the students and their parents and um, basically it was agreed that the students should be allowed to acknowledge uh, their teachers with another appropriate respectful form of greeting rather than being obliged to shake hands with them so this compromise temporarily exempted the two students from their obligation to shake hands with their female uh, teachers but at the same time it also forbade them to shake hands with their male teachers
2: oh right so you
4: can know look, yeah, yes audience.
2: of course Be, please
4: because i think what was at stake here and that's
3: the that's kind of the important point also of the of the whole affair um the whole stress out of of the gender dimension in this in this thing um since they refuse to shake hands with the female teacher um Teachers in the school feared uh, that now they will they will go against the principle of gender equality uh-huh. if they would allow for for that just like that. Um, so they forced the pupils or convinced them also if you want if you if you don't want to shake hands with your female teachers you don't shake hands with your male teachers either um, just to stick to the principle of gender equality which was made a big issue in this case.
2: Oh, excellent. So there, there was uh, an effort to both respect the religious freedom of the Muslim students whilst not kind of transgressing on strong principles uh-huh. of gender neutrality. Uh-huh. Exactly. Um, but, but then the issue got a lot larger, didn't it? Um, uh, that The media got hold of it and it ballooned into this national conversation. Uh, how was it framed in the media and how did it kind of uh, create such a controversy?
4: Yeah, it exploded when the the arena, I would say the the most influential uh, political TV program in Switzerland, sub uh, addressed the subject in two specials uh, under the Lurie titles Angst for dem Islam, Fear of Islam and Schweiz ohne Gott, Switzerland without God. Um, and then a barrage of reports and comments in the media as well as the demand of concrete political measures Postulated by politicians of influence on a national level, put pressure on the cantonal authorities and politicians in Basel country.
3: I, th- I think we have to add to that also that um, the solution found by the school was just meant as a as a short time span compromise. Mm-hmm. The school wanted to have it uh, fixed on legal terms, so they asked for um, legal. Um, I don't know, legal expertise mm-hmm. to check into the case because the school wanted sort of defined standards, um, to which they could refer in case something like that would happen again. And so they draw it to a, to a legal level. And this then made the whole thing public mm-hmm.
1: uh-huh. and,
3: and raised the media attention. Yes, yes, yes. So we have then both or two systems kicking in with both their own interests, the, the lawyers and the lawmakers um, checking on this issue on gender equality, freedom of religion, educational law, and parallel to that um, the media eco, of course, trying to make that thing kind of a hot topic.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, Trevor what, what Were the media discussing it within a, a legal frame? Were they using kind of legal terminology or were they using kind of more, more populist ways of engaging with the
4: issue? yeah definitely it was about uh as we said the equality of women and men it was about islam and islam as uh as a thing which has to be feared um it was about uh christian culture it was about liberal culture um and so the 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 whole discussion um was not really about the the the, the I couldn't say uh, it exploded from away from this uh, very local issue,
3: but that was also possible because the media um, could connect it to other to other hot topics yes. and hot debates like uh, building mosques in the public mm-hmm. sphere, um, wearing the burqa, and other debates which are currently. Um,
5: which already existed, which already dominated. existed
3: before, oh. and the Turville case was just another piece <laughs> in that sort of of chain of, of discussions. Mm-hmm. Um, but that again this then put it in line with um, yeah, Swiss culture versus um, Muslim immigrants, Muslim immigrant culture.
2: Right. So we, we've got this discussion of a, a kind of culture war taking place, uh, or certainly that framing of the issue. Um, for our, our, our listeners, perhaps who might not be experts in Swiss culture or the, the history of, uh, you know, Swiss national identity, um, what, what are the key tropes or key narratives that can help, you know, understand the, uh, the, the forces behind this conversation, this national debate?
4: We have different narratives here, but I would say one of the most important topics is that of the equality of women and men. And for that, one has to know that in Switzerland, um, women um, came their right to vote not until 1971 on a national level and in one specific canton uh, called Appenzell Innerrhoden as recently as 1991 Wow! following a decision by the federal supreme court so not on a basis democratic level but now it's very interesting to see how the same conservative parties and sometimes also uh, the same, the very same um, politicians, now a little bit older, uh, which opposed uh, the, the the right to to vote for me- women a few decades ago, act now as the spokesman for an equality of uh, women and men against, in their point of view, archaic forces um, which which menace which menace Swiss women.
2: Right, so um, th- those who are strongly opposed to or at least quite skeptical of women's rights are now using it as a, uh, a rhetorical means with which to push mm-hmm. against uh, um, um, Muslims within Switzerland.
3: Um, it, so, was, it was sort of instrumentalized, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that you have, maybe adding to that from a sort of outsider perspective, maybe on, on Swiss cultural narratives... Um, which are kind of complex, I would also say, which is fascinating, Mm -hmm. Um, because you have this narrative of Swiss history and and culture as being very liberal, um, with kind of uh, a lot of referendums um, having a very strong sense for democratic procedures. Um, But on the other hand, you have still strong um, institutions like the army Um, with sort of a, I think with an idolized male, um, warrior, culture sort of, and also the, the national hero figure, um, as the guy with the strong bow, um, shooting the apple, right? Uh, Wilhelm Tell things we, so, we 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 know uh, the music yes yes uh. and also is, um, i mean also a strong sense for that um, that it, it 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 is not a it is not an the army is part of is part of the wider population every male um, guy has to go to the army um takes the weapon home mm-hmm. um so whenever there is there is um need to defend the country they are ready and uh, this thing is still kind of of going strong. I have the impression this is not um maybe not as much of course mm. um, like thirty forty years ago, but if I compare it to like' in in Germany for example um i think it's it, it makes a difference mm. here where you still have have that argument as a so, so
2: I'll be perhaps looking at a machismo which is defending women from insults as opposed to really seeking to gender no, equality. I would not, go, I, I would not that, go that far. That's too the, far.
3: But the, but the trivial case definitely kind of, um, was instrumentalized, um, to put the arg, to push the argument forward. Um, look, there are our Muslim minorities, they have an issue with, with women's rights. Um, mm-hmm. but we don't look at our own shortcomings because we are very liberal, although you can, put many question marks behind
4: that yeah. Yeah. I mean w- the narrative I described before that was more like the conservative narrative and of course you have another narrative which I would describe as a, a, a liberal narrative so the liberals in their motion when the, the whole thing was discussed in the local or in the, in the, in the cantonal parliament um they described a refused handshake as a symbol, I, I could cite that, I guess, uh, for a fundamentalist and militant ideology, so you hear that in their own words, which contradicts our state and social order, which is built on personal freedom, legal equality, and the equality of men men and women. And that's a different thing, uh, mm-hmm. as the conservatives would propose. So for the, for the liberals, these are the three pillars of society, and... um now, from the perspective of a, a history of concepts, maybe it's interesting to see that if we replace uh, the equality of women and men with a re- rather old-fashioned term of, of brotherhood, of course, rooted in times of pure male hegemony, we get a very familiar triad of uh, liberté, égalité, fraternité. And that's slogan of the French Revolution, which is essential for the self-conception of the Swiss liberals and that they want to, def- to defend. So,
2: on the one hand, we've got the, the liberal narrative of equality and, um, you know, um, kind of enlightenment values. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, we've got the kind of the, the conservative... Defending uh, the Swiss women. A, a, and yeah. burying... So, we, we've kind of got this strange confluence of cultural narratives uh, being allied to push against kind of migrant uh, and specifically Muslim um, identities mm-hmm. and interests. Exactly. Um, fascinating.
5: Sorry to interrupt the episode, but we just wanted to let you know to remind you about our Patreon link. Uh, The Religious Studies Project has always been free since its inception, Um, but we know that there's a great problem in academia with uh, people not being paid for the work that they're expected to do, particularly early career scholars. And we at the RSP want to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. So you can help if you can spare even one pound a month um, by going to patreon.com slash projects rs and subscribing we know that these podcasts are very useful for people who are teaching and people and they're learning so if you can help um, either by subscribing there or by making a one-off donation using the paypal button on our website it'd be greatly appreciated and will help us keep bringing you this podcast for free and fight against exploitation in academia but now back to the episode um
2: moving away from the perhaps the cultural discussion but more more the legal issue because uh, it, it it did become a legal discussion as well um how how was that framed and what were the kind of the arguments on either side
3: well, i think one pronoun- or or at least one um, paraphrase that played an important role here was um Uh, civic duties versus uh, religious freedoms Mm -hmm. and as the as some politicians brought it forth that civic duties should be should um, give primacy um, over religious freedoms and um, this whole trope or this uh, this logic has a history in itself and probably Martin can say a little bit more about that because it goes also back to this culture war um, history.
4: Yeah, that's true. I mean, the, the, the concept of primacy of civic duty is also connected with a uh, narrative, with a political narrative. Uh, it comes from the federal constitution of 1874. Um, it was the first revision of the the, the, the first constitution of the modern Swiss state, uh, which came from 1838. And both constitutions were were products of um, of conflict situations between the Catholic conservative camp and the liberal camp. Um, the constitution of 1874 and the so-called primacy of civic duty, that is a product of uh, pure culture war politics. Um, this constitution, as well as the first constitution, served as a guarantor of the at the time liberal radical majority and was directed against the Catholic conservative minority. So they served as a dispositive of power.
2: So, so how, how does this fit? Is this more kind of ensuring the loyalty of... Uh, uh, the Catholic community to the Swiss state as opposed to Rome or the the, the, the the civic duty I mean it has some very strong policy implications even today doesn't it but um,
4: yeah that was expelled from the constitution so it, it's not anymore in the constitution oh, okay. on a national level so they want to reintroduce that on a, on a, on a cantonal or yeah. want to reintroduce that on a cantonal level after the so called terville incident yeah the constitution as you said of 1874 that was a political instrument to to weaken the Catholic conservative camp um, I mean, it included things like the suppression and ban of the Society of Jesus, uh, and the prohibition uh, of the establishment and re-establishment of monasteries in Switzerland, the removal of the right to be elected as members of the National Council for Roman Catholic Priests, Mm -hmm. so not democratic for Roman Catholic Priests, and restrictions against uh, the formation of new Roman Catholic dioceses in Switzerland. That was a pure culture war product.
2: So, um, uh, and this um, narrative of civic duties was being mobilized to push against the, the, the religious freedom arguments.
3: Mm-hmm. It was brought up again, yeah, interestingly, yeah. although it has this kind of, of a history package. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, in the end they had to, to drop it again. They did not, mm-hmm. uh, although it was... Brought up in the discussion if it should be included in the constitution again, Mm -hmm. in the cantonal constitution, you have to say. Um, but it was, it it was dropped because, Mm. of course, it was a lot of, a lot of legal question marks behind it. If that would still possible, a lot of, of, anyway, um, to your question about the legal framing, because that's, that's not it. Um, what they still introduced, um, is, um, that cases like Turville has now to be reported to um the Bureau of Immigration Affairs by the teachers. Um this is now part of the educational law. And I mean, since you asked how this changed then now the perspective on the Turville case, um because it is clear now if if you now bring it up to the to the Bureau of, of Um Immigration Affairs. Then the whole issue of religious um, diversity in the classroom is now being reduced to an issue of of immigration questions.
2: So, so we've we've got an an incident that takes place in a classroom, now being an issue of immigration. Um, is there is there a more a more to the story there? I mean, what were the, the Muslims recent the the two Muslim uh, schoolchildren? Were they um, recent immigrants, or were they you know, were they citizens? Or you know, it seems strange to have.
3: I think it's second generation, second generation kids, um, but probably not with citizens yet. Yeah, I
4: think I think from Syria.
2: Yeah. Oh wow. Okay, so um, so we're we're starting to almost get um integration issues uh, yes, uh, starting totally. to be um. But but kind of integration at a national policy level uh being focused on you know what's taking place in the classroom
4: um I think that was uh, the, the thing why politicians took took uh, the whole issue uh, on a on a national level to speak about uh questions of of, of migration immigration and not maybe not that much about her right
2: um. Yeah, so carrying over into broader anxieties and concerns about, you know, immigration to Switzerland. Um, is, is that how it relates to other controversies? We were, you know, suggesting earlier that, that there are other, um, points of conflict perhaps between, um, um, the, national narrative of culture and yeah, immigrant I, communities. Yeah,
3: no, actually, that we're talking about immigration, I think there's, a, we already mentioned, like, the burqa, the, the the mosques, the minarets. Um, but I think what we forgot so far is also the debate about immigration as uh-huh. such. Yes, yes. Um, because that's a big topic, too. Um, this is about the integration of Switzerland in wider Europe, um, because Switzerland kind of experienced a, a huge influx of um, uh, foreign workers Mm -hmm. from all around Europe and this led also to an intensive debate um, about immigration, local culture um, fears of um, local customs and Swiss culture sort of um, dying out Um, and I think this was just another issue to which the trivial thing could be associated
2: Yeah, so the the, the, the the, the site of the school being very much a, a focus of, um, you know, identity politics. Um, and throughout the conference, uh, we've been hearing kind of papers that have uh, explored the idea that um, schools are not simply places where people learn, but almost kind of centres of ideological production where people are inculcated, or children are inculcated with certain values and certain uh, behaviours and certain perspectives. Um what, what do you think of the implications uh, for education as such when it gets drawn into these kind of national controversies of culture, citizenship, and diversity?
3: To answer the first part of your question, I think it is uh, it is still the case. Um, schools, of course, are places where you learn something about mathematics, where you learn about literature, but also have it from a religious study perspective. School is definitely still a place... Uh, which is imagined by wider society as a place where its norms and values are being taught and reproduced. Um, So I think this is not not gone. But the question is then, what norms and values do you want to teach in school? Mm -hmm. And I mean, this was also a debate in the Turville case. Because um it was said, yeah, our school should be a place where they learn to cope with difference, where they should learn about diversity, individual um, peculiarities, tolerance, respect, and so on. But then, what was actually what actually happened was that they used this argument to basically outrule then uh, religious diversity in the form of two Muslim guys rejecting the handshake. So um, there was then rather okay, the the school should be should be a place where norms and values are practiced, um, but these norms and values are not in accord with what these two guys, what the two boys did. Um, so it put then a, a very strong vision of what um, school should be and what norms and values should be practiced
4: in school and what does not fit into the school Of course, we don't have any definition of what these values and customs should be. I mean, the cantonal government um, spoke of... um, Considering the increasing migration of people with various ethnic and religious backgrounds, it is central that those people uh, respect our laws, our values, and our customs. The cantonal government, you can hear it, uh, does give us a definition of what these values and customs should be, but clearly we can see a constructed dichotomy of a we and the others, a construction of identity through alterity
2: fascinating um,
3: so yes so that please was because it. there was a second part of your question which um, stayed unanswered so far and that was um, how this kind of, of national debates about school um, and, and what would be their impact on on yeah sc- school being connected to citizenship and what what would probably have, um, an alternative way for, to deal with such national issues in, in, in terms of education. Um, and I think what, what would definitely help um, in such cases like we have in Therville is that um, students and pupils are kind of equipped with the with competence um, for religious questions. Uh-huh. And it means also not, not from, a, from a religiously normative perspective, but just having knowledge and competence about, mm-hmm. about religion so they can basically critically evaluate such debates by themselves and also kind of learn to understand what is at stake here. And that, of, that, that then brings me again back to, to the study of religion as a discipline, because I think, um, implementing contents from the study of religion in school curricula would help a lot, for example, to, to equip students to, to kind of getting an opinion on such things by themselves.
2: Yeah, so so the, the, the handshake isn't so much a, a, a moment for discipline or, you know, enforcing national homogeneity or cultural integration, but a pedagogic opportunity perhaps where, you know, the, the Kids in the classroom can actually, you know, think about wh- where people come from in different perspectives regarding, um, you know, the religious values that cause them to, uh, physically, you know, interact with people in different ways. Um, I suppose the, the, the question I want to conclude with is where, what, what is the step? What is the uh, policy position now? What, where are we regarding handshakes in Swiss schools?
3: That's a very good question, actually. Um, because the media attention, I think, is kind of gone by now. Because mm. the debates are all through. The media is now already to the next events and to the next stuff. So what kind of kept almost unnoticed is that the debates in the parliament went through with the respective change of law, as we described earlier. Mm-hmm. So um, the civic duties over religious freedoms is not has not become part of the constitution, but um, Teachers have to report to the immigration office um, such incidents. But this then now is kind of out of the media attention, and the uh, the case now with this is um, more or less settled. Mm-hmm. But with with the respective political outcomes, um, which you can see as a yeah, I mean, it, it it will have an influence on on further cases because this now kind of pre-structured um, further further ways of how to handle with such cases which this is what the politicians wanted but which is also kind of um giving away the chance to probably have a more thorough debate on religious diversity in schools this chance is now some somehow out hmm yeah um well thank you very much
2: martin phillips it was an extremely stimulating conversation um any final comments before we sign off and say farewell to our listeners <laughs> uh, I think we're all keen to enjoy a beer uh,
4: now at the end of the conference. Um, and the next medial scandalisation in, in Switzerland will come for sure. <laughs> <Wonderful>. Definitely. <laughs> okay, thank you very much, gentlemen. Thanks thank
0: so. you. Right. Thank you so much for that. Um, I, and, and it was a real sacrifice on Tom's part because the conference had finished. We had already repaired to a public house. Um, I was there with, uh, with Sammy and uh, Suzanne Owen and a few others and then Tom... Had to say, I need to go and do a podcast now. And he laughed, so thanks doubly for that. Yeah, time. what a trooper. Um I should also say seventeenth of December, it's my dad's birthday today. Happy birthday, Dad. Happy birthday, um I i Doctor Yeah, I don't know that you listen to the podcast, but um, I will make you listen to this one. <laughs> <laughs> um that's always a thing that uh, that uh, comes up pretty much one week before Christmas, every year. And yeah. he gets two sets of presents, and you get presents, listeners, in the run-up to Christmas each year. You get our festive midwinter, non-denominational, non-specific, totally inoffensive special. That's right. And um, I don't know if I would say totally inoffensive, as <laughs> it is
1: hosted by the, um, the indefatigable Jonathan Tuckett. Um, and this year we're playing a version of The Chase um, not ex- not exactly the same as BBC's The Chase. In fact, we changed enough of it so that we couldn't possibly be held legally accountable. But inspired by BBC's The
0: Chase, exactly. So that was quite fun. And you uh, you'll get to meet our uh, you know mystery chaser, and then we'll see who manages to um, to walk away with the the crown.
1: I suppose. Yeah, if you've if you've. Watched our or listened to our previous Christmas specials, all of which are available on the on the website, and we'll probably share them in the run up to Christmas. Uh, you might have a fair guess as to who our mystery
0: uh, chaser slash champion of champions might be. Exactly, and um, yeah, so that'll be going out on Christmas Eve. Um, after which point, we'll have a break for a couple of weeks um, just to let everything settle. But um, I think I think I said we'd be back around the fourteenth of January. That's right. But if you're in need of
1: your RSP fix in the meantime, don't forget that if you're supporting us through Patreon um, or if you uh, are at the University of Alabama or a member of the BASR, you can check out our uh, monthly discourse episodes, which is our kind of news and current affairs programme hosted by either Chris or myself and a of guests mm-hmm. and you can also check out our "Have Are You My Data series we've got two of those up so far with Russell McCutcheon and Carol Cusack um, and that's a bit more of a kind of um, well it's listener questions for a start and it's a little bit more um, less about research more about the people yeah. and,
0: and their job it's the religious studies project after dark yeah
1: um, religi- RSP late <laughs> um, so if you want to hear uh some more sort of controversial stuff from them, you should check out those episodes. And both of them are absolutely hilarious and really, actually some really good insights in terms of academic careers, the academic field, the way that the university sector works today. So I do, uh, I recommend you checking those out.
0: Fantastic. And thank you listeners for bearing with us throughout the year and we... Look forward to seeing, well, to being heard by you in 2019. And
1: and before we go, we should also say thank you to all of the editors who contribute week in, week out and make this possible and all of the interviewers um, and indeed all the interviewees uh, who've taken part this year. I think it's been a fantastic year myself. So thanks all of you. And thanks Thanks for for listening. listening. The Religious Studies Project is sponsored by the British Association for the Study of Religions, the North American
0: Association for the Study of Religion, and the International Association for the History of Religions. Brought to you by founders and editors-in-chief Chris Cotter and David Robertson, and managing editor Thomas J. Coleman III. Our features are edited by Jonathan Tuckett, and our opportunities digest by Yanna Shirley. Podcast transcription by Helen Bradstock, with audio assistance from Gregory Schneider and Samuel Ward. Social media managed by Ray Radford, and sales and marketing by Sammy Bishop. Don't forget, you can support the project using our
1: Amazon.com .com.co.uk and .ca links or by donating at patreon.com backslash projectrs and you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Google+, YouTube, iTunes and other portals.